What do you care about? What do you love? And then find the sustainability in that. So if somebody loves fashion, they can find out more about sustainable fashion and um, sustainable fibers and then educate their friends on that. Try not to take on sustainability as a whole because it's so overwhelming that it's very easy to give up in that case. Mm -hmm. And small steps are way more important than trying to tackle everything and be perfect. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Unfazed with Tazzy Faye podcast, where we have casual down-to-earth conversations about all sorts of topics. On today's episode, I'll be talking to my friend Oakley. We actually met back in college and have stayed in touch ever since. I love Oakley, she's great. and. That's not the only reason that I'm having her on the podcast though. In one of my recent videos, I talked a bit about climate change and it made me think of her because based on Oakley's knowledge and experience, I felt like she would be an amazing person to interview and learn from. And that's because after we graduated, she started working as an engineer, but then she found her passion for sustainability. She's done some really great things and I learned so much from her during this interview. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy and learn something new from this episode. Here it is. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. Um, first of all, um, I know that we definitely know each other, but um, I wanted to see if you could tell the audience a little bit about yourself um, so that they can also uh, get to know you. Yeah, so I'm Oakley. Um, Tasneem is one of the only people who's allowed to call me EJ. <laughs> Um, yeah, cause I went as my, from my first name, Emily for a long time. And so yeah, Tasneem is an honorary member of that, of that group. Um, so yes, I'm Oakley and we met when we were in college at CU Boulder in Colorado and we met in theater. We actually did acting together. So it's so cool to, um, come together again for this podcast and some other projects. Yeah. For sure. I'm really excited about this. And um, we did we did meet an interactive theater project, and that was a lot of fun. Those days were good. They were um, good days. <laughs> but ever, ever since then, um, you know, what, what have you been doing? I know you've been working a lot. You know, after you got your degree, you um, kind of went down a path where sustainability became something yeah. um, that was really important in your um, in your work. And so, um, can you tell the audience a little bit about that, um, that part of, uh, your life as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I studied chemical engineering is my undergrad and you wouldn't think that chemical engineering would be the place that you find a love for the planet, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's exactly where I found my love of sustainability. So I was a chemical engineer for BASF, which is one of the biggest chemical production companies in the world. And I, boots on the ground with my hard hat and steel-toed boots, learned how stuff was made. So now when I look around a room, I know exactly the energy and water and people and transportation that went into making stuff. So the pigments in the paint on the wall, I've been in that factory in New York. The um, soap in Tide Pods, I've been in that factory in Louisiana. Um, you name it, I just see the world differently because there's no longer this illusion that stuff comes from the planet Earth because I've seen it. And so I came to treasure these items more and also to think about my impact on the planet more. And so I decided to change my career during COVID. 
when the whole world was having a shift in consciousness. Um, and I decided I wanted to do something that I believed in that helped the planet. And so I discovered this concept of circular economy, which I know we'll talk about more later. Um, but I, um, changed my career to really helping with landfill diversion, keeping those products that I worked so hard to create out of the landfill and helping the people of the planet at the same time. So I started a company called Level Up Planet. Uh, where I educate everyday people about sustainability. And I also have a podcast that I co-host, which is called Trash Magic. So yeah, um, I'm really grateful for my journey. And if I didn't start as a chemical engineer, I wouldn't have understood the impact that we have on the planet. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I honestly, I love talking to people who um, have this depth of experience because um, I think a lot of times on the internet or just in general, the amount of information that, you know, consumers or just people in general have is very limited. And uh, it's very interesting to um, get the opportunity to, to speak to people who, you know, like you said, you've been in those factories, you know what it's like. And, you know, it sounds like you've kind of been on both ends of it. So you have this mm -hmm. very holistic view. But, you know, one of the things that we're hearing more and more, um, especially recently, is that, you know, everything that we're doing is impacting the world and climate change is going to wipe us off the earth if we keep acting the way we are. So, you know, is this something that from your experience, do you, you know, what do you think about that? And, you know, do we even have an impact? Uh, does it even matter what we do at this point? Mm. Yeah, totally. Right. It's such a valid question. I've, I've heard it put this way. Um, you know, we're in this dark tunnel and we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And is it really the daylight or is it an oncoming train? <laughs> right. Funny, and yeah. so I'm going to talk about climate change in, in both perspectives. You know, is it the light at the end of the tunnel or is it the oncoming train? And frankly, we get to make that decision right now. This is the turning point. All right. So let's talk about the oncoming train first. We'll talk about doom and gloom. So... The planet has warmed more rapidly in the last 200 years than the last 10,000. Okay, wow. so when you look at this graph of the Holocene, which is the era that we are living in of the planet, our 4 billion year old planet, we're in the Holocene. And that over the 10,000 years, we see like this gradual uptick and then slow downtick. And then it's almost like a hockey stick curve. Like you can see the industrial revolution on a graph and it is this steep increase in temperature only in the last 200 years. And so what I tell people is that if you're experiencing shifts in weather that you can recognize in a human lifespan, that is way too fast. We're talking about the earth that operates on billions, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of years. If we can see the difference in the increase of natural disasters in a human lifetime, that's way too fast of a change. Yes, the planet goes through natural shifts, but we should not be able to recognize it in our short life. Okay, so natural disasters are increasing because there's more water evaporation and that causes more natural disasters like those in Pakistan, um, which I wanted to ask you too, if, if your family is okay. Is everybody that you know safe? Yeah, thank God. Um, you know, I spoke to my family uh, or my mom. You know, she did say that that everyone is okay. I think 
what happens okay, being in some of these situations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it has had a huge impact on the country. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, the actual flooding, uh, my family's okay. But if we're talking about, you know, everyone's going to be really impacted by what happened there regardless, right? Like, right. it's going to affect economy, it's going to affect health, it's, the, you know, it's going to affect a lot of things. And mm-hmm. um, I think the thing is, there are people especially in a country that's not as like a wealthier country um, doesn't have the infrastructure, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the things that um, protects the people who are the most vulnerable. And so a lot of those people are the ones who are severely impacted by that. If that makes sense. Yes, completely. And I definitely want to touch on that too, which is so let's shift to how we can make this oncoming train the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's by realizing that it's it's that this crisis is affecting us as a planet as a whole. And so no longer can we think about these borders or these differences as a reason not to help each other because guess what? What happen, what happens in Pakistan matters to the planet. What happens to DRC matters to the planet. What happens in the US matters to the planet. What happens in Zimbabwe matters to the planet. We're all children of this planet and your global family matters. And we can no longer think of ourselves as so different. So I see the light at the end of the tunnel as what if this global crisis is the thing that helps us think more as a unified planet than as these separate, distinct people, enemies, that people are thinking of each other as so different and things that happen across the world don't affect me. They do because we're all on the same planet and we're all in the same climate and it, we are united in this, in this cause. So my light at the end of the tunnel is that we use what could be this impending disaster and doom to unite us. I am a negative person, <laughs> um, but I, I completely see what you're saying and I agree with it um, wholeheartedly. My thing is, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like, you know, when you get like a group of 20 people and you're trying to trying to decide like where are we going to eat dinner? <laughs> like the more, the more oh my people God, it's you so have, true. like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, man, we're never going to get out and, you know, make moves. So that's a, um, no, that's it's a, that's thinking. a really good point. And I think that, in that way, we do need to adjust our solutions for what matters most in our local community, but also realize that this is a this is a global issue. And mm-hmm. no, you know, if you look at this issue from space, we don't got the borders. <laughs> like right. climate is everywhere, and it does affect everyone and every species on the planet. What do you think that we? can do like well let's say i mean of course it's all contextual like where you live who you are Mm -hmm. um you know what i can do is different than you know what somebody in another country is going to do so uh, you know as a citizen of the u.s or as, as someone who is living in this country what do you feel like would have the biggest impact or what can we do to have an impact Mm -hmm. um you know besides maybe the well i'll just let you answer that question instead of yeah for sure so what i tell people when it comes to you know what can i do is i think of the phrase pick your passion so instead of picking your battles pick your passion so what do i mean by that i mean 
Oh, the effects of climate change can be incredibly overwhelming to the effects on value chain, human rights, you know, my passion, which is in waste and recycling, energy. There are so many facets to sustainability and climate change that it's so important to pick your passion. So my advice is, what do you care about? What do you love? And then find the sustainability in that. So if somebody loves fashion, they can find out more about sustainable fashion and um, sustainable fibers and then educate their friends on that. Or if people are interested in renewable energy, they can go back for their master's and get renewable energy. Try not to take on sustainability as a whole because it's so overwhelming that it's very easy to give up in that case. Mm -hmm. And small steps are way more important than trying to tackle everything and be perfect. Little steps count, and they're going to get you a lot further than if you try to tackle too much and have to give up. So pick your passion. I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead because um, I did have a question, but mm -hmm. you know what you just said made me think about that. Because something that I get sometimes a little frustrated with, or you know, when you when you feel like this huge responsibility is on you, like mm -hmm. if I don't, if I use this straw or this <laughs> plastic water bottle, like I'm gonna go to hell, like you know, like sure. that's yeah. Yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> um, <laughs> how much of it, you know, with with your background and everything you've seen, how much of it is an individual's responsibility, yeah. and what part of this should fall on corporations and, and governments and you know these bigger entities that I mean, what's their, what, what purposes are they serving? So, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, such a good question. So yes, the biggest overall impact, the biggest carbon emissions, the biggest waste come from corporations. Um, but who are these corporations selling to? They're selling to all of us. And mm -hmm. so we have the power to vote with our dollars. We have the power to vote with our voices in terms of what these corporations do. And if a corporation doesn't have a sustainability uh, pledge um, and numbers to back that up on their website, guess what? A lot of millennials, Gen Z will not buy from that company. People are becoming more educated. So yes, it is up to the corporations to make that change, but the power is not completely out of our hands. Um, we have voices and dollars. Um, to put forward our say. So if we don't do anything, we are giving permission for things to stay the same. And and so uh, just jumping off of that point, like how do we know we're not being conned? Like with all this stuff about like greenwashing and stuff, like how do we yeah. how do we know that us voting with our do dollar again, I'm kind of being negative, but it, you know, I, I just want to hear from somebody who's, you know, a little like a there lot more is, well versed in this stuff yeah. there is a lot of greenwashing and especially because companies are like oh now it sells <laughs> to be green like oh it's cool to do that now right um so there are a lot of companies that do the research for you so mm -hmm. um there's one small business that uh, my friend runs it's called simple switch and she does all the research. She knows all the vendors. I would say buying as locally as possible is also a better way to find out because listen, all right, H&M may say that they're trying to do this whole like clothes recycling thing, but their supply chain is so massive. They don't even know where their clothes are made. So, mm. you know, it's not that big corporations can't do right, but they do have less transparency. I would also look for numbers. So don't just look for sustainability pledges, look for sustainability reports. 
Um, and look that in those reports, they have third-party certifications like a B Corp or SASB, S-A-S-B. There's a lots of third-party qualifications that you can look for. But greenwashing is, oh, we, we you know, pledge to do this and that. There's no numbers and there's no improvement reported on. Um, that would be one way to look. Look for a sustainability report. And then, of course, sense. the most sustainable thing you can do is um, use the things you already own <laughs> as long as possible. I was going to say that. I was like, so you don't have me buying things. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the best thing that you could possibly do is honestly, you've so the biggest carbon footprint comes from manufacturing that thing new. So once mm -hmm. you've bought it, if you bought it new, that's the largest carbon footprint possible. So keep that thing as long as possible. That's kind of the rule of thumb. And also, again, I'm going to go back to this, like, pick your passion idea that you have to take care of yourself. So if you use that straw and you threw it in the landfill, okay, if you are going to feel so guilty about that, that you are frozen, that doesn't help the planet, right? So we can't be perfect. Again, make the mistakes and move on. Because if we try to guilt ourselves again into being perfect, we're not going to make the progress. Yeah, I actually noticed that. I'm sorry, I'm veering off a little from my original question list a little bit. But I, I noticed that even with some of the YouTubers that I followed who are, you know, all about sustainability and kind of really talking about that. And that was kind of like life, their lifestyle channel. Some of them kind of eventually gave up. I, I noticed like after years, they kind of regressed a little bit because I noticed also sometimes when I'm like, when I was in a place where I was like, oh my God, like, you know, and I'd worry about every little thing that I was doing. It was really stressing me out. And it was like having a real impact. Like, for example, when I moved to Texas, you know, water is was a difficult transition for me because here, like, people use water bottles, people, whatever. We started getting the gallon things. But, you know, in Colorado, I just, I used to drink tap water. I used to just, you know, I, I don't know. It was just different. And so... I, I should also mention, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I should also mention that, um, you know, corporations have ran campaigns so that we as the consumers are the ones that feel guilty. It's, it's very mm -hmm. intentional. It's, it's not by mistake that we are the ones that have the burden. Okay. We live in this current world, in this current economy that is built that way. And we are trying to um, recycle things that weren't designed to be recycled, or we're trying to use less resources in a world that was meant for landfill. So it's not entirely your fault. You do so, so acknowledge that. But then again, I'm going to go back to my point, which is yes, corporations impact the most, they have to change, but we also have to live up to our principles and communicate what we believe in, uh, because if we do nothing, then corporations will continue as they are. So try to find this balance between I have to save the whole world mm -hmm. and I used a straw because I'm driving in the car and I don't want to, you know, sew it all over my car. <laughs> yeah, right, find, right. find the balance there between perfection, you know, and, and sanity. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good advice. I, I appreciate you saying that. And um, you know, you brought up recycling earlier um, and you just you just brought it up again uh, right now when you were giving your answer. And I have a question about recycling because I know I watch too much TikTok and the misinformation is too real. I'm starting to have that epiphany finally <laughs> that I need to just chill out on that. But 
I saw some sort of TikTok saying that, you know, majority of what we put in recycling bins doesn't even get recycled. And it really made me feel like, what's the point then? Because I'm Mm -hmm. such an avid recycler. So is there a point? (laughs) There is a point. Let me give you some history. Let me give you some history and then some things people can do. So I'm going to start off and say that TikTok was correct. Most of the things that can be recycled are not recycled. That is true. So let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this word called contamination. So we used to, the U.S. used to ship our recycling to China to be recycled. But in 2018, China said, we're no longer taking your recycling because it is too hard to process because it is contaminated. So what do I mean by that? It means that a lot of things that could not be recycled were making it to China. And also a lot of plastics and things like that were contaminated with food. So if you imagine a barge Mm. going from the U.S. to China, it's just a boat of mold by the time it gets to China and they say, what are we able to do with this? So in 2018, Mm. China said, no more, we're not taking your contaminated recycling. And so part of the reason why things aren't recycled is because we do not have infrastructure in the U.S. to recycle in our own country. So because we were sending it to China, that is changing. There are a lot of recycling facilities popping up, so that's wonderful. So if we stop recycling, so the name of the game in recycling is volume. If you don't have enough volume of a certain material, you can't sell it to an end buyer, which means it stops. So couple things that people can do is keep recycling and keep recycling right. So avoid that contamination. So maybe I can give a little quick crash course on recycling. Sure. Okay. Go for it. Cool. So typically the things that can be recycled are paper, plastic, and aluminum. Okay. So let's talk about plastic because it's honestly the biggest culprit. Plastics need to be clean and dry. So that yogurt Mm. cup that you have, you can wipe it out with a paper towel. You can use a little bit of water, rinse it out. And then if it's drying in your bin, that's great. But water can also cause mold problems. So I'm not looking for everybody to like put their recyclables on a drying rack and make it perfect, but (laughs) you know, do the best you can here. Okay. It also needs to be large. So you cannot recycle a contact lens case. It's too small. It will fall through the cracks and the recycling facility. So we're looking about at like the size of a water bottle or bigger. Okay, so clean, large. And then the last thing that advice I would give about plastic recycling is, do you know what plastic film is? Like versus, do you know what a film is versus... So I think, so a film, a plastic film is something that you can crush in your hand very easily. It's the labels on the outside of the yogurt container that you can peel off. It's the labels on the outside of that almond milk that you can peel off. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Or like plastic wrap. Mm -hmm. Those in the industry are called films or or the single-use plastic bag is a film. So like this very thin, easy to crush thing, those are not recyclable either. So this is going to sound dirty, but just roll with me here. (laughs) Needs to be (laughs) clean, large, and firm. (laughs) And then you can recycle it. (laughs) Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now you'll never forget. 
<laughs> so again, just to reiterate, we need to keep recycling because otherwise the infrastructure will not be able to be funded and we need to do it correctly because if it's contaminated, they just throw it in the landfill. So we, this is honestly, recycling is something that the everyday person does have control over with the environment. Okay. So let's keep doing it and let's keep doing it correctly. I feel like I learned a lot just now. I really did. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the crash course. I appreciate cool, it. You're welcome. So early on in our interview, you mentioned um, circular economy. You mentioned that phrase. So can you just elaborate on what that is and yeah. um, I guess how it's relevant to what we've been talking yeah. about? So um, currently we live more in a linear economy. So if you imagine a line... We make products, we use products, we throw them in the landfill. Okay, so it's a linear economy. Take, make, or make, take waste. A circular economy is you connect those two ends of the lines together and you keep those resources in the value chain as long as possible. Okay, so an example of this is nature is an expert in circular economy. If you imagine a tree falls over and dies in the forest, it becomes soil and then other things can grow in it, right? There's no such thing as waste in nature because those things are used for something else. So circular economy adopts this same idea of keeping those resources in the value chain. I should note that circular economy is not recycling on steroids. <laughs> recycling is an example that most people can think of of circular economy, but it's so much more than that. Circular economy means repairing things, means reusing things, means exchanging things. It's keeping a product at the highest value as long as possible. So when we recycle something, sometimes that value decreases because the quality of the material decreases. We're trying to keep that value for as long as possible. And a circular economy also thinks about the people of the planet as well. Um, it's about equity and inclusion. It's about transparency in a supply chain. So really the circular economy is the vision for the economy of the future. It's the sustainable economy. And I should note that if we truly wanna become a sustainable planet, we can't think in the same way that we do now. So for instance, did you know that you can throw a solar panel in the landfill in the U.S.? No. Like you can buy land, you can buy solar panels, and when they are obsolete, you can do one test under RICRA law, which is hazardous waste law. And if they pass this leaching test, you can put them in the landfill. So my point versus treating it the way Japan and Europe does, which is as electronic waste, hazardous waste. Um, so my point is with circular economy is that we have to completely change the way that we think about everything if we're not going to just slap this sustainability band-aid on a linear economy. If we're going to make mm -hmm. solar panels and renewable energy, we can't uh -huh. just throw them in the landfill. We have to be thinking about the end of life of that solar panel when we manufacture it. We need to make legislation that captures that material. We need to think about the people who are mining cobalt in DRC, that they have the right PPE and that they're being protected. So circular economy really encompasses all of these things and it changes the paradigm for a sustainable future. It doesn't just slap this Band-Aid on. So that's yeah. circular economy, everyone. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, thanks for breaking that down. And um, I actually didn't know that. So that's, you know, I like that you said that 
let's not slap a bandaid on it. That makes a lot of sense because I think, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a lot of what we see, but yeah, this, this conversation has been so educational and so interesting. I'm so excited to get this episode out and share it with, with people, you know, before we completely wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, anything maybe you felt that you didn't get to say or um, any last thoughts that you want to leave with the audience? Um, I, I mostly just want to turn to you, Tasneem, and tell me if, is there anything that you would want your audience members to know that you've learned and maybe how we can help your family members in Pakistan and, you know, what's your vision for the future? Kind of knowing where we're at. So, yeah, I want to ask you a question, actually. Yeah, how are you feeling? Yeah, sure. I think one of the biggest things that I... I've just been thinking about a lot and, and been feeling because um, I feel like I'm continue, like continuously doing this and always doing this um, the best that I can. But I, I really just want people to like empower themselves with information. So whether it's like reaching out to people who, um, you know, they know or, or listening to podcasts or, you know, just so that you feel empowered to get involved and, uh, you know, vote the way that you want to vote uh, for the initiatives that you're looking for you know, feeling empowered to use your dollar the way you want to. I think the more you get educated about things, the more these kind of simplistic views really break down. And and so that's, that's my hope for people that they do that. And that's kind of also why I have my, or I keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I just love sharing what I learn from other people um, with other people. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, my friend. And yeah, it was a pleasure. If anybody wants to learn more, I'm on Instagram at trashmagic underscore podcast. So thank you again for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, and that concludes our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate the support so much. And I also want to give the editor of this podcast a shout out, Faison. You can find him on SoundCloud and Instagram at Faison Beats. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a rating and review. It will help a ton. And until next time, bye.